When I hear the word grace, I think of someone bringing beauty out of my biggest mistakes, being my real self, and being loved without conditions. I think about a love that's stronger, rock solid, bigger than anything I can ever imagine. When I'm really aware of God's grace, when I experience it, it's like a weight is gone. <sighs> a breath of fresh air. Freedom. It gives me hope. And when we share it with our families, our neighbors, our friends, with our church family, total strangers, we experience joy, growth, thankfulness, peace, healing. We experience more grace. Well, tonight I want to begin by asking you a fairly sobering question Why are people so lonely? Loneliness. Oh man, that's a bummer way of starting a sermon, isn't it? We just got done singing these wonderful songs, and it's so beautiful outside. Why, why are we going to talk about loneliness right now? Well, to be candid, I've been thinking about this topic for a good bit of time. Back in April, I attended this event called the Q Conference. Uh, it's in Nashville, and Q uh, talks about the future, talks about the church, and talks about the hope of the gospel. And it involves different sectors of culture. And it is an incredible, incredible event. They're kind of like TED Talk style talks, varying between 9 and 18 minutes at length. And one of the presenters was Senator Ben Sass, the senator from Nebraska. And he wrote this great I actually took that picture. That, that, that's how nerdy I am. I get to sit that close and snap away. And he wrote this great book called Them. And I had been reading that up in, um, as, as I prepared for the conference. And he talks a little bit about politics, but he talks a lot about society. And one of the key epidemics that is ruining and damaging our society is the issue of loneliness. He said, right now we are going through one of the biggest mass suicide epidemics in American history. He says, despite our astonishing medical advances and technological leaps, the average lifespan in America is in decline. In fact, longevity is in decline most within those in the age span of 25 to 45 years old. I mean, I don't know if, I don't know, I didn't see that coming. It is in decline most amongst those who are 25 to 45. This is the first time our nation has experienced a two-year drop in life expectancy since 1962, and that was caused by the influenza epidemic. Normally, life expectancy declines if there's a significant disease or a war, but this is unprecedented. Among the key culprits is suicide, as I mentioned before, and also the unintentional deaths that are often drug and alcohol-related. But the suicide rate in our country is soaring. And I'm guessing you know a little bit about that. Perhaps you have lost friends and loved ones along the way too. It is not, it is not a unique thing right now. It is, it is soaring. Two years ago, 63,000 people died of overdoses. And that was 11,000 more than the previous year. And it's the same number, it's actually more than the number of Americans that were killed during the entire Vietnam War era, which is close to 20 years. It's almost twice the number of those who are killed in automobile accidents in our country, 63,000. 
and it's, it's continuing to climb. The percentage of young people who are hospitalized for suicidal thoughts and actions has doubled over the past decade. And he says, we're killing ourselves both on purpose and accidentally. And we're literally dying of despair. Dying of despair. Friends, this, this breaks my heart. If church is a place where we can come and gather and talk about the things that matter most in life, oh, this matters. So I apologize if, if you feel a little ambushed by, by this, this terrible news, but I also see the church as the guides and the signposts of hope. Because I believe the people who are in your life are in such great need, and I believe that God can use you to encourage them and show them something that they have never seen or experienced before. So I hope you, I hope you lean in as we talk about grace in community, especially here in the midst of loneliness, because I see community as an antidote to loneliness. But first, are you lonely? Am I lonely? Sometimes. When I, I look around and I listen to the people's stories around me, I, I, I wonder, um, I realize I, I, there's a lot of loneliness, and I feel a bit of that too. And there are different types of loneliness, and not all loneliness leads to self-harm, of course, but there's different types of loneliness. There's a type of loneliness when you're just pinballing through life so fast that you feel that you know a lot of people, but you don't really feel known in a meaningful and deep way. That's a pretty common form of loneliness. I have a lot of people around me, but do they really know who I am? And do I really know who they are? There's that type of loneliness. There's also the type of loneliness where there's just not a lot of people around you at all. And, and maybe you're overscheduled, or maybe you have isolated yourself, or maybe that you feel that people have backed away from you. Maybe it's a combination of a lot of these factors. Maybe you feel that people have disappointed you and you need your space, and maybe you feel that you've disappointed others, and so again, you have backed away. Again, there's different types of loneliness. I bet if you thought about it throughout this week, you'd be able to detect some of the loneliness around you and some of the loneliness that you have experienced in your own life. Why are people lonely? I've been asking that question a lot, not just since the Q conference, but also because I'm the, I'm the pastor of, of groups here at Grace. And I think about loneliness as part of my job to connect people, to create spaces of belonging. And I try to strategize on how people can have meaningful and dynamic experiences in community with one another. And I wish I could just say it's as simple as just getting everybody into a group and then nobody would feel lonely ever again. But it doesn't work that way. What I'm most excited about when it comes to to community, to Christian community, is the idea of creating spaces where people can feel free to actually be their true selves, 
where people can share what's really on their hearts and minds, where people can receive what's on other people's hearts and minds in a generous and kind way, where we can serve together and pray together and share and search scripture together and unpack these Christian teachings together and a place where we can grow in the way of Jesus together. Ah, that is a space worth pursuing. And that's what I would love for all the groups here at Grace Chapel to be hard at work doing, to be intentional about. That would be beautiful. And I bet you would like to be part of something like that. I'm not talking about the groups where we just have a little bit of a potluck, where we take a spiritual vitamin and then we go on our way. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the groups where you can be your honest, true self as you're growing in Christ. That is the type of group that we're looking for. And I believe that it's in that type of a community where these scary things like loneliness can be addressed and can be conquered. I really do. If you've been in church for a while, you know that the New Testament has a lot to say about the practice of community. And the Apostle Paul writes extensively about the role of discipleship and community. And he writes specifically to communities. And so I want us to look at Colossians 3. Feel free to bring it up on your phone, Colossians 3, chapter 12. And we'll also have it right here on the screens together. But this is God's word. And it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is one of my favorite passages. Oh, this, it's like, for me, it's like one of my favorite albums. Like when, I, when I'm in the mood to like listen to something familiar that I know that is just going to, that is just going to make me happy. This is, one of those, this is one of those passages that I, I, I go to because I, I just feel so inspired, convicted, and I just feel the Lord in it. So if you have a, a paper Bible, I would highlight this. So I would put stars around that's, that's what mine looks like. Um, on your version digital Bible, you, you, know, you can highlight that too. But man, it, it, is a, it is an incredible passage of Scripture. But I want to ask you, is it true? I mean, those first words, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I mean, let's stop there for a second and do two things. One, I'd like to, I'd like to invite you to marinate on that for a second. And two, I want to ask is, do you believe it? Because I can see your resistance. I can. God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, kinda. I mean, I'm here. 
I'm not sure how holy I am. I'm chosen by God, and that's wonderful, but I'm not really sure that I should have been chosen. I mean, there's some really impressive people in this world, and maybe they should have been chosen instead. And dearly loved, it's nice to be loved. But man, I kind of have squandered at times the love of God. I don't know if this applies to me. Stop. If, if that is a, somewhere in, in the back of your heart or in the front of your mind, a, a running dialogue, I want you to stop and confront that. Those are lies being whispered to you, telling you that you're not worthy, telling you that, that somehow you need to deserve this grace that God has given you, and I want you to call that out. This is grace that God has given you as a gift. You are God's chosen people. You are holy. You are dearly loved, not because of your moral performance, but because this is a gift that God has given you. So friends, embrace this gift because God is good. Believe it because God is good. God gives us God gives this gift to us freely. And if you want a whole sermon about this, Pastor Brian preached a great one just two weeks ago about how we didn't get, receive grace by our own merits, but we receive this grace as a gift. The passage continues in, in the second half of that verse. Clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. So good. And it's not this condescending type of authority voice that Paul is using. Okay, okay, you're chosen and you're loved, so, so act like you deserve this, okay? No, he's not talking to us like that. He's not saying a lot of trouble has gone into your salvation, so if you could do something and play the part, we would really, none of that, none of that at all. He's saying, because you are receiving this, keep the clothes of this on. Keep the fashion going. And that style is in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Oh, I am these things. Sometimes. You are these things. On good days, sometimes. Not always when I drive, right? I mean, do anyone, does anyone here drive with gentleness and patience and compassion, like all the time? If so, teach me how to drive like that. That would be like a driving like Jesus book type of a thing. You should podcast that as, as, you, as, you, as you drive so, so Christianly, right? And not always at home either. You know, I'm, I consider myself to be a, a, a pretty patient fella. But after the 300th time that I've asked my children to pick up the toys and the wrappers and the confetti that came from someplace, like I start to, I start to get a little nerved. Come on, I keep asking. Just All we got to do is like not throw trash on the carpet, please. This is just strange behavior. That's my nice voice, <laughs> right? You probably have things like that in your life too. 
Why are all these socks here? Look, what, what is this over here? Oh, that's mine. That's mine. Easy, easy. Please be gentle with me. It's just an honest mistake. Honest mistake, right? You always want the, the, the double standard to apply to you type of a thing, right? What does compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience look like? I mean, compassion is, is, is when someone tells you a story that's hard for you to relate to, and you find, though, somehow this gift, this grace to empathize for them. Kindness is, is when, when, when someone who may not even deserve it needs it from, from you, and, and you try to find a way to, to show and to demonstrate some measure of kindness. I'm always trying to figure out what, what do you do with the person on the side of the street at almost every single intersection that you come across now? How, I mean, how much money do I need to bring with me to, to, to give to the person asking for change outside? The other day, I was in the mood for Twizzlers for some reason. And I was at Target, and the Lord provided Twizzlers that were on sale. That was the sign. Oh, they're on sale. I should buy them. And so I bought a bag of Twizzlers. And I, I, I was satisfied with my, the Twizzlers after two. Because they're not really that good. No, I, I don't even know why I wanted the Twizzlers. And as I was driving, I stopped at an intersection, and I offered Twizzlers to the person asking for, for money. Now, I know that he doesn't want Twizzlers. I know he'd prefer cash. This was a demonstration of kindness that I thought I could help with. What resulted, to my surprise, was Twizzlers. Yeah, I'll have a Twizzler. And this normalcy of conversation where I found myself saying, I don't know, I was in the mood, and so I went to Target. Would you like some? And we had this normal conversation, and the lights turned green, and off we went. I tried it again a few days later, offering Twizzlers to the person on the side of the road. They weren't that impressed as the person before. <laughs> I'm going to keep trying until the bag is gone. <laughs> but more importantly, can we show kindness to people even if we don't necessarily give them exactly what they want? Because our typical thing of just ignoring people because we can't satisfy what they want isn't really working that great either. I like to think I had a, a decent personal moment with a person the other day, and I'm humbled by the fact that it was over Twizzlers. What if we did something better? What if we used something that actually has substance, not just nutritional value? I mean like an actual conversation that has hope and, and maybe a message charged with redemption. Maybe this gospel message that we sing about and pray about and talk about and read about, maybe something like that. If God can use Twizzlers, oh. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Gentleness is another word, often confused with being soft and weak, but better understood as the opposite of arrogance and the opposite of being self-serving. Gentleness. Gentleness is a compliment. Most men, at least, don't want to be referred to as gentle in that regard, but in, in the negative regard, but, but the opposite of arrogance, the opposite of self-serving, oh yes, may we be gentle. 
patience, the willingness to, to be people of long-suffering. Patience. Clothe yourself with these virtues. An illustration may, 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 be, may be helpful. My, my, my dad, would, would um, when I was growing up, he'd, he'd come through the house after work, and he would, like, the way that our house was, he'd, he'd, like, buzz through the kitchen, hey, everybody, good to see you. Hope everybody had a good day. And he would just kind of, like, walk through as, as he went to his bedroom. And in an instant, my dad would reappear with a, a sweatshirt and these old dad jeans. Now, it was one of four or five sweatshirts that he had. One was a Penn State um, sweatshirt. Uh, my dad did not go to Penn State. Uh, neither did any of us. He got it for free, and he wore it every week, okay? It's part of his dad uniform. Another one uh, was, was, oh gosh, I almost forgot. Oh, the other one was um, with a Philadelphia Eagles sweatshirt. And my, we don't like the field. My dad grew up in Cairo, Egypt, okay? He didn't go to Penn State. He didn't, he didn't grow up watching the Philadelphia Eagles. I like the New York Giants. I know, I know, it's, it's, it's not helping. I know, I know. But still, but my dad would proudly wear this, this Eagle sweatshirt that he got for free. There was another one. My dad is a dentist, and he would wear this, this, like, this name of a fluoride dental company. And he proudly would wear it, and like, you know, he'd go to the grocery store with like, you know, whatever this fluoride thing was, right? There was another sweatshirt where the writing was worn off, because we got that one for free, but it wasn't as good of quality as the other ones. And then one year, my sister and I decided for Christmas we were going to get him a really nice, legitimate sweatshirt. And my dad never wore it, ever. Dad, why don't you wear that sweatshirt that we bought you? It's really nice. No, 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 this is a Christmas gift. I can't wear this. And it went on for years and years where he would never, we don't even remember what it was anymore. It just got retired. But I never forgot how fast my dad would change when he got home. And the sad part is the, the thing that I hesitate in saying is some of us change out of these Christian virtues that we're supposed to be clothed in really quickly. I mean, some of us, it's almost like we, we run into the phone booth and instead of coming out like Superman, we come, up, we come out like the worst version of ourselves. I mean, we have stripped off the clothing of virtue that Paul is talking about and we've become that part of ourselves that we hate to admit that we are, but in the honest moments, oh, I can't believe I can be this angry. I can't believe that I can be this short-fused. I can't believe that I can be this selfish and this prideful and this defensive. Oh, I can't believe that's me, but that's what I'm wearing. And Paul is telling us, don't do that. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and tenderness and patience. And then he moves on and he says, bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I mean, as we look around in society today, have we not lost our ability to bear with one another? I mean, doesn't that grieve you? We have lost our ability to bear with one another. I mean, culturally, it's fairly obvious, especially as we look through our social media interaction. But it's also true in our interpersonal interactions, too. 
we have lost the ability to bear with one another. We're living in a time where we are just bombarded with so much interaction, but we're not really even giving each other our best. Often we're surrounded by people, or we might even be with another person, but we're, all, we're relating to other people on this device through a screen. So we're ignoring the humanity next to us, but we're not even treating the person on this side of the device with a lot of dignity either. So we're objectifying everybody that we have some type of interaction with. We're objectifying the person next to us. We're objectifying the person on the other side of the screen. And after a while, we objectify ourselves because we start seeing ourselves in, in these two-dimensional ways. We, start, we stop seeing ourselves as people created in the image of God who are to be loving and kind and gentle and patient. And instead, we react, 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 react. If I don't like it, I punish you. If I like it, I'll give it a, maybe a like, maybe, maybe some type of affirmation if I feel like it. And that, friends, is not grace. And this is an opportunity for the church, for people like you and me, for those of you who, who say that they love Jesus, to lead with grace to show kindness and compassion and tenderness and gentleness and patience, to show love, to practice the, the worthwhile moment of forgiveness. Because when we don't do this, we don't experience grace ourselves, and we can't extend grace to people who desperately need it. Now, there's different types of grace. And perhaps you've heard this over the years. There's a saving grace that comes from the Lord. That's the one that we were talking about earlier, that you don't do anything to, to merit that. God just gives that saving grace to you as a gift. There's that persevering grace, the type of grace that we pray for to press on. Like, Lord, give me the grace that I need for today. There's that, that's that persevering grace. But there's also the type of grace that comes through, through relationship through community, where we extend grace to one another. If you have ever been forgiven by a loved one, then you have experienced this type of grace. And I'm not just talking about like, oh, I'm sorry I upset you the other day. I mean, that type of forgiveness where you have really wronged someone and you went to sleep wondering if you were going to be forgiven by that person. And it kept you up at night. It made you feel like, oh man, I may have crossed a new threshold in this relationship and we may never recover. And this incredible thing happens then. They come up to you and they say, hey, that really hurt me, but I forgive you. And you feel this incredible moment of not just relief, but of like a fulfillment type of a thing. Thank you for forgiving me. And if you've ever been the person to forgive somebody else, you know it from the opposite side too. Maybe you know what it's like to not be forgiven. For someone to hold that grudge against you. I crossed off the story in my notes. And then before the service, I was like, maybe I should tell the story. And the reason I crossed it off is I didn't know if I could tell the story right where I wouldn't cause further harm. So I'm going to give it a shot. Years ago, I, I tried to thank God someone. And somehow I ended up seriously offending this person. I know. How did you do that? <laughs> I did it. 
And I found out like, that I really upset this person. And part of me felt that there was a terrible misunderstanding, that if I could just explain what happened, that I, 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 I love you, I'm thankful for you. No, don't, let's not be upset. This is a good thing. But I didn't want to give that, that poor apology. I'm sorry that you were offended. I, 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 took, I took responsibility. I, I, he said he was offended. I took him at his word. I'm very sorry. Let's, can we make this right? So I reached out to him, and he, he wasn't ready to be reached out to. So I, I let it go for a little bit. And then I reached out again through a mutual friend who helped me understand a little bit more of the situation. So I reached out, and my, my, uh, my phone call went straight to voicemail. And I said on the voicemail, hey, at some point I would love to talk because I would like to apologize in person. I'm really sorry that I upset you. I really am. Generally, I am. That was the last thing that I intended. Uh, when you're ready, let's talk. If you, and I, we hung up and, and, and so on. I hung up. He never called back. We, uh, I had tried to reach out through this mutual friend. We had set up an appointment. We set up three appointments. Each one got canceled shortly right before we were supposed to meet. And every now and then our, pa our, our paths cross. And I feel this awkwardness of, of not being forgiven by them. Now, I doubt this person walks around with this like vendetta against me type of a thing. You know, in some ways, I'm sure, we, I'm sure he has moved on, but the relationship was never restored. There was never actually any closure to that whole incident. It's something that's a sticking point. Now, I don't tell you that story because I want you to feel for me. I really don't. I tell you that story because the learning experience for me was, wow, if I would ever cause somebody to feel the way that I felt by not forgiving them, this is how it feels like to not be forgiven by somebody. May I not do that to someone. I mean, that was a profound learning experience for me, not to withhold forgiveness from someone. I learned through the process, as, as it says here too, to, to forgive as the Lord forgave you. When I don't forgive someone, I am claiming to have a higher standard of forgiveness than God. And I'm not prepared to make that type of a statement, to have a higher standard of forgiveness than God. You probably aren't either. I ask you in this indirect way to, ask, to, to say this, is there someone in your life that you have withheld forgiveness from? And I don't want this to be a, a moment of guilt or anything like that, but God may be prompting you to extend grace to this person, to extend forgiveness to this person. And this could lead to a beautiful restoration, and this could lead also to one, a, a beautiful experience in their life where they will have experienced the grace of God through you. Does something like that exist in your life? That leads us to our, 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 our talking point for tonight, our takeaway. There is a type of God's grace that you cannot experience alone, but that can only be experienced in community. It can only be experienced in community. And that's what we're going for here at Grace Chapel. I know this is, this is a pretty heavy message, and you guys are doing great as we're talking about things like loneliness and forgiveness and bearing with one another. 
And I know I've been a little bit light on the humor except for the Twizzler thing. But man, I want, to, I want to, if I can, push you a little bit tonight and challenge you. Are you a person of grace? Do you need to extend grace more consistently to the people around you? And can you depend on the strength from God to extend that grace to people around you? A place to practice that is in groups here at Grace. At our campus vision gathering, we, we shared with our group leaders that we had redesigned group life here at Grace. And we, we went through rounds of conversations with pastors and our senior leadership like Brian and elders and, and fellow staff and campus pastors and current leaders and former leaders. And we went to other churches and we read books and we just did rounds and rounds of these things. What was group life going to look like here at Grace Chapel on the other side of this ministry model redesign? And we, we came up with this idea that what we really want is for people to practice the way of Jesus to practice the way of Jesus. And we think that's accessible to people who are just starting off on their spiritual journeys, the way of Jesus. Okay, that sounds like something I'd be interested in if I love Jesus or if I'm trying to follow Jesus. And the way of Jesus is also something that feels robust enough for people who have been on the Christian journey for a long time. Because you might recognize that the way of Jesus is deep and profound, and you're always learning something about this way. You're always learning something new about this way. And so we had to unpack this way with three values. One was spiritual formation, the way of Jesus, the way that Jesus interacted with God the Father. Two, missional living, the way that Jesus interacted with his world. And three, strengthening relationships, the way that Jesus interacted with other people. And then there's a fourth value for leader development. We want to invest in you as leaders if you become a small group leader. But the bottom line is we want to be people practicing the way of Jesus here at Grace Chapel. And we've curated resources to help you with that. We have a resource list that's available at grace.org forward slash group leaders where we have, we have 15 different studies that rotate around these values. And some are on video, some are books, uh, some are study guides. There's all sorts of things where you can practice the way of Jesus in community with, with other people around you. And I want to encourage you, friends, if you are not part of a group, to find a group, and, and to jump into a group in the beginning part of the year. Because it's really hard to jump into the group in the middle of winter type of a thing. You know, you, just, you never feel like going anywhere in the winter. Now is the time, as you're apple picking, okay, to jump into a group. And there's, in fact, there's some groups that actually go apple picking, and you know, there, there's that wonderful thing as well. But as I've been serving in this role since 2011, I've, I've learned a few things. I've learned that if you go to a group about 15 to 20 times a year, that you will start trusting the people in that room. If you go less than six or seven times a year, eh, you're not really going to trust them. But if you go more than 10, 15, like, like we're saying, you're going to remember the prayer requests. People are going to remember yours. You're going to remember each other's stories. You're going to start liking the people that you weren't sure that you were really going to like when you first got to know them. And you start falling in love with this community. And this community starts falling in love with you. That's part of the way of Jesus. And that's the healthy group here at Grace Chapel. So if, you've, if you haven't experienced that, I want to encourage you to consider joining a group here at Grace. Two, if you have joined a group here at Grace and it just it disappointed you, 
it fell flat. It, you didn't like the people there. There was somebody uh, who, who, who upset you or you, know, you felt that they didn't laugh enough at your jokes type of thing. I want to encourage you to find a different group. To tr- just go find a group that fits with you. True story, the Galley family, that's me and my wife and my kids, we went to three different groups before we found our fit. And there was nothing wrong with the other ones. One of them just was a little late and we had a baby and that you know, just didn't work for the family schedule. But the third group, we just felt it fit finally. May you find your fit. And three, maybe God may be calling you to start a group. So maybe find a group if you haven't found one before. If you didn't have a great experience, try again. But maybe three, maybe you start a group. Because we're always looking to start new groups. And it's really easy. You find a nucleus of people that you, that you say, hey, we're th- I'm thinking about starting a group. You came to mind. Would you be part of this? We're going to meet on Thursday and we're going to study this. They have a whole list of things online and we're going to try this one. And then you contact myself or Pastor Richard, your campus pastor, and we'll get you online. And this will try to help create a little bit of momentum for your group. And before you know it, new people will be contacting you saying, hey, can we jump into your group? And then as a special bonus here for GCN, not only, there is a really great group that meets every other week right here on campus after the service. They're meeting tonight. They meet in room 104. They eat together. They've been a group for at least the last five years. They are awesome, awesome people. And I'm not just saying that because they're all pretty much in this room. I would just ha- I wouldn't have said anything at all. <laughs> they are really awesome people, and you can jump into that group. But we would love for you to experience grace in all these ways. And we have a, can we put up that map finder um, slide? We have groups all over the area. Uh, we have about 70 to 80 groups listed on our map finder feature. Uh, so you can go up on grace.org forward slash groups. Now, I've gone a little bit longer than I intended, so I th- I'm going to just cut to the, to the end of the message here. And, and I, and I just want to just emphasize this one particular part. We call ourselves Grace Chapel, and we can't call ourselves a community of grace if we are not really depending on the grace of God and also demonstrating that grace to other people around us. So friends, I want you to believe that you really are chosen people, that you really are holy people, that you really are people who are beloved by God. And something powerful and special and incredible happens when we clothe ourselves with these virtues, these virtues of compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility and patience. And when we seek to extend this peace of Christ that covers the multitude of sins in our lives and other people's lives, when we forgive one another and when we love the way that Jesus loves, when we imitate that, when we practice that way of Jesus, something profound happens in our lives and in the lives next to us. So let's pray that God uses us like that. Lord, we we thank you so much for allowing us to experience your grace. We thank you, Lord, for the power of Scripture and the reminders that, that Scripture teaches us of how to love each other. We know that it is hard and we are challenged by it, Lord. And we are also often discouraged by the loneliness that we experience in our lives and the the loneliness that we see in the people around us. 
And we ask, Lord, that you would pierce our hearts and pierce the hearts of the people next to us too, Lord, that they may receive your love, your truth, and this incredible grace that we keep singing about. But use us, Lord, because we desire to experience this and to extend it to others. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.